uh, politically known as Super Tuesday. Uh, good to be back with you here today. Uh, last week I was coming back from California. I had uh, there officiated my goddaughter's wedding and so uh, by the time I got back I was in the mood to sleep a little longer and so I wasn't here with you. Uh, but today I am and we're going to conclude uh, the final um, I am statement of Jesus. We've looked at each of them over the last number of weeks and today we're looking at his statement of course that says I am the vine uh, found in John 15 verses 1 through 8. If you'd like to uh, join us there you can uh, pick up a Bible and watch uh, read along uh, with us. John 15 verses 1 through 8. I have to just type it in on my screen here because I pulled up the wrong passage but uh, I'm going to read it now. Here we go. Uh, John chapter 15 verses 1 through 8. It reads like this. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And we'll go ahead and stop there. So um, in the church I served back in uh, Southern California, right next to the building that we rented, we were just surrounded everywhere by old vineyards. I mean, it was acres and acres of old grape vineyards. And, uh, and one of the things that was pretty striking about those old vineyards there was that uh, they were dead. Uh, they did not have any fruit to speak of. Uh, the vine did not produce any particular fruit. It didn't seem to have any direction. And on the ground were uh, just old branches and twigs from the vine everywhere, scattered, dead. Well, by nature, uh, we're much like that, according to the scriptures. We are dead. We're unfruitful and unclean, only fit for the fire, so to speak, as that vineyard was. That is often the way that we're pictured in uh, the Bible as just our, it, because of our sinful nature. Uh, and yet, um, you know, what, what's the answer to that? Like, what, what can we do? Well, uh, in order for us to have life, we need to be connected to the vine. We need to be connected to something with life. So a uh, little historical context for you before we dig into the passage. Uh, Jesus and his disciples at this moment are in the upper room. The disciples are, of course, pretty afraid because Jesus has just told them he's going away. Uh, he will be betrayed and handed over to the scribes and the Pharisees, the Roman officials, and, and that he'll die. And he's even though I mean he's he's told them this many times and they 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 really don't get it they don't understand they are well I mean obviously very understandably restless so where will they find 
strength? Where will they find life? Well, it is from Jesus, even though he's going to go through all these things, and he's going to explain why. So first of all, uh, the reason that the disciples can have life and strength and vitality is because they, will, they are connected to the true vine. They are connected to the true vine, which is Jesus. Now, now that statement Jesus makes is a contrast between he and Israel before him. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is also referred to as, quote, the vine. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 17, God is said to have planted the people of Israel on the mountain in the promised land. Again, Psalm 44, verse 2, shows the nation of Israel to be, quote, the vine. But alas, Psalm 80 shows us that this vine was weak and under attack. It says there in verse 14, Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down, may they perish at the rebuke of your face. The vine all throughout the Old Testament is in disarray. Now why is that? Well, if you skip over to Jeremiah, the, the weeping prophet, as it were, chapter 2, verse 2, we read that the vine is in disarray because Israel had turned degenerate and become a, quote, wild vine. In other words, they had severed themselves from God. Now go back to Psalm 80 again. What is the answer to the destroyed vine? Verse 17 of Psalm 80. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then he shall not turn back from you. Give us life. We will call upon your name. So hopefully you're making the connections in your mind with what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the vine. It is not just simply a statement out of nowhere, but Jesus is saying, I, the son of man, am here now, and I am the fulfillment of the vine. In the way, in the way that Israel could never really fulfill that mandate, I am fulfilling that mandate because in me is life. So as Jesus tells his disciples he's going to leave to be back with the Father, the disciples' temptation will surely be to go back to what they did before. Maybe to go back to Judaism. Maybe to just fit in at all costs so as to save their own hide. It would be natural, of course, after seeing their Messiah crucified, like the worst of common criminals. But Jesus says here, no, no, no. Trust in me no matter what. Don't go back to depending on what you knew before. The old has gone, the new has come. I really am the true vine. And why, why does he say to depend on him? Because his father is the vine dresser. In other words, if I can paraphrase here, Jesus is saying, I'm the son of God. I've fulfilled everything Israel was supposed to do and have done it perfectly. Whereas your forefathers spent 40 years in the wilderness uh, due to their giving into constant temptation, it only took me 40 days because I never did give in to temptation. The manna your forefathers ate 
that was me. The rock your forefathers drank from, that was me. The circumcision you received was always pointing to my baptism, Colossians chapter 2. And the lamb that you slaughtered every Passover, well, that was me true, me too, the true spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world. I am the true temple. I am the true word. I am the true door, the true shepherd, the true life, the true king, the true son of the vine dresser. I am Israel reduced to one, as Horace Hummel used to put it. And what does the vine dresser, the father, do? We'll go back to verse 2 of John 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He's cutting off unfruitful branches, a.k.a. Israel, in the context here, for their unfaithfulness. But he is pruning, or more literally cleaning, tax collectors and sinners and Gentiles to make them fruitful branches of his vine. So Jesus' Jesus's disciples, you and I, find our life from him because he is the true vine, unlike Israel, that could never succeed that way. Secondly, we and the disciples find our life in him because he indeed does clean us up. Uh, what does the vine exist to do? Well, the vine exists to give its lifeblood to the branches. Again, verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So, so far we've established through our connection that, with Jesus that that gives us life and life eternal. But God isn't done with us there. He's, he's going to prune us or more literally clean us. But if you look at it, it seems a little strange because Jesus does say we already are clean. And so the question comes, how can this be? I mean, we, we clearly are aware of the ways in which we're not clean, in which there's still pruning to be done, and, and yet Jesus says, you already are. Well, the reason is because of the tension we live in on a daily basis. On the one hand, because of our hearing and reception of the word of the gospel, which he says is what declares us clean, we are indeed, by from the throne of God, seen as perfectly clean and righteous and holy in his sight. It's as if we have never sinned. It's as if we've always lived perfectly by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we are seen as. But on the other hand, even as we are seen that way in the heavenly places, we are still growing into that in our lives today. One of my favorite ways to illustrate this is with the film, The Last Emperor, about the last emperor of China. He ascended to the throne at the age of two. Now, in the most true sense of the word, he was indeed the emperor of his people. Yet it would take him many, many, many years to grow into the title. There was all sorts of people surrounding him, pruning him, as it were, preparing him constantly for the role that he already was. And that is in some way for us as Christians the way life is. We are declared to have all the gifts that come with the title of being Christ's brother and God's son, and yet here on earth we're, 
we're struggling and we're in this tension between the old Adam and the new Adam and we're having to put to death the old Adam every day by remembering whose we are and whose name we're baptized into. So Jesus says, I've already grafted you in. You already are pruned in a heavenly sense, but there's still work to do here in the earthly sense. There's still some killing off of the flesh that needs to happen. Thirdly, we find life in Jesus because we abide in him. The text says, apart from him, we can do nothing. Folks, if you look it up in the Greek, it's fascinating. The word there for nothing means no things. Apart from Christ, we can accomplish none of the things. So then the question comes, well, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Well, you know, I think the tendency with this, with this abiding language, because it's just always our tendency, is we immediately go to doing something. We immediately go to, to working something. But think about the word abide. It literally just means like, stay with me. Hey, stay here. I mean, I, when I think about ab abiding, I think about my eight-year-old laying down next to me last night as he went to sleep. He was abiding with his father. He was just resting. I really think it's that simple. <laughs> I know. I know. We want some skin in the game. and We want to prove that we're worth being saved. We're worth being part of the vine. I know. I get it. But Jesus says, no, no, no. If you, if you want to do things instead of no things, just stay with me. Be like, be like Mary more than Martha. You remember the story, right? Martha wants to do all the things to prepare, to make a great meal for Jesus and to get the house all clean. And she's there dusting and using her Swiffer wet to make sure that he's comfy. And meanwhile, Mary is just sitting there listening to him. And Martha doesn't like that at all. But Jesus says to Martha, Martha, you, you need to do what Mary is doing. Abide. Sit down. I do think, though, there's also, there, there might be even a, a slightly deeper meaning to this abide language. I do think it means just sitting, resting in him. I really do. But Jesus goes, if you go back to John 6, when Jesus talks about him being the, the, the bread of life, there he says, which I believe the whole passage is about communion. I think it's John's communion passage. But he says in John chapter 6, verse 56, check this out. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, what's the word? Abides in me and I in him. Jesus literally says there, it is feasting on the Son of God like you do at the communion rail. Feasting through faith on the life he lived for you in the body and the blood he shed for you on the cross. Take, eat, take, drink. This is why we say that communion nourishes your faith. It helps you to abide. You say, well, I'm not sure if I'm abiding. Well, if you're ever doubting that, don't look to the subjective because you're never, I mean, you're, there's all sorts of reasons to doubt the subjective experience of whether you're abiding or not. Look back to the rail where Jesus literally gave you his body and blood. Remember the words 
that were said over you at your baptism. You're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's an objective fact. That, that happened. I mean, that's, that's real. Look to that. And you can be confident that you're abiding. So where do we get Jesus? Where do we, where do we find him? In the word and the sacraments. Oh, how we're prone to looking for God in a thousand different places out in the universe. One guy says, says he experiences God in the ocean while surfing. Another says they sense his presence while golfing. Or even still, somebody says that, you know, God is found in the midst of the trees or whatever. And there's a sense in which I get it. Like you can have, a, you can have these experiences of grandeur looking at creation and looking at nature. Psalm 8 depicts that. And, and that's not unbiblical to say I, I can experience God's presence in nature. But folks, if you want to find him in a saving way, if you want to be clean, if you want to be sure that you're abiding, you got to go to the place where the word and the sacraments are because that's where he says he'll be every single time. There can be no spiritual fruit, no change, no power in your life apart from him and where he is found. And this is why he goes on to say, but those who don't remain in Jesus, those who, those who are too busy trying to do all the things in order to prove that they're saved, in order to save themselves, really, which is what Israel was doing at the time in which he's contrasting himself with, he says, they're going to be thrown into the fire. And I don't necessarily think this is an allusion to hell. I think it's just an allusion to them being cast away because they have uh, rejected the sun. They don't want the vine. And so the vine, even though if we go on throughout scripture, we know the vine is pursuing after these even dead branches. Paul talks about it in Romans. Romans 11, he talks about the, uh, Jesus' ability to regraft old branches in. In that illustration, he's talking about an olive shoot. But he says God's able to regraft people in. And hopefully he has indeed done that and he continues to do that. And so what does Jesus say will happen as we abide in him? Well, well, he says that God will answer our prayers. And that doesn't mean we're always going to get what we want. But he does say that he'll answer our prayers. He'll give us responses. He hears our needs. And, of course, it says that he produces fruit in us that will bring glory to God. It's this, this idea of um, when Jesus says you're a city on a hill and you're, you're the salt of the earth... And then he, he goes on to say, uh, let your good works shine before men so that they might glorify your Father in heaven. As we, as we simply rest in the finished work of Christ, it turns out that we become an awful lot of good for our neighbor. It turns out we, we become very fruitful and helpful to those around us, and not even necessarily while having to try so hard. Jesus is in the business of doing things through us most of the time when we're not conscious of it. I promise you, remember the parable of the sheep and the goats? The sheep are shocked. They have no idea when they've done any of the things that Jesus says they've done for them. When did we do that for you, Jesus? Well, I think it's going to be very similar for us saints on the last day when we stand before Jesus. He's going to start listing off stuff that we've done, and we're going to go, I don't remember that. And he's like, no, well, it doesn't really matter if you remember it. You did it because <laughs> I did it through you. All right. So speaking of vines and vineyards, let's wrap this up. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, or it's actually, got, I mean, it's a little while longer than that, but uh, I was driving up the California coast to see some 
uh, some relatives. My wife's family lives uh, near just north of San Francisco. My family's in uh, just outside of LA in uh, in California. All of our families out there. Now on the way up the coast until you hit about Santa Barbara or so, it really sort of looks dead on the side of the road. It just does, like like the old vineyard next to my old church building. But something interesting happens almost immediately after you pass Santa Barbara. Things change pretty dramatically. And some of you might know this if you're from California or you've driven up that Pacific Coast area. All of a sudden, you see lush green trees and beautiful mountains, the ocean. And of course, one thing you notice everywhere around you as you drive up the central coast of California, there are wineries for days. And those vineyards look drastically different than the one by my old church building. Each plant in the vine is perfectly placed in rows in these places, and the leaves are green and lush, and, and it doesn't look like there's any weeds to be found in these vineyards. And throughout the day, every day, the vine is constantly producing fruit for the enjoyment of the world and to the glory of God. And that is ultimately what Jesus is promising to do for us. He's going to make us the central coast. <laughs> he's going to make us the central coast. And he's doing that now through his, through us abiding in him pruning and cleaning us. So, all right, gang, that is it with the I am statements of Jesus. I'm not sure what I'm going to do next week. Maybe some Lent passages. Um, you know, we're, tis the season. Uh, but, uh, but I'll keep you posted. Until then, I'll see you next Tuesday. God bless you.